Welcome one and all, I'm Chris Stone, the Virtual Agile Coach, and this is the Virtually Agile Podcast, the pod that shares conversations with Agile thought leaders, as well as amplifying newer voices. You'll hear about agility, virtual working, and everything in between. If you find value in listening, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your platform of choice. It is the very best way to hear about the latest episodes as they land. Enjoy the show. Fellow Agilists, welcome to another episode of the Virtually Agile podcast. And as always, we aspire for neurodiversity on the show and the amplification of voices seldom heard, as well as hearing from established thought leaders. Today's guest is someone who I've been keen to speak with for quite a while, as I have a feeling we have a very similar ethos on our approach to people. Our guest is the author of Agile People, a radical approach for HR and managers, founder of Agile People, and co-author of the Agile People Manifesto. I am pleased to welcome Pia Maria Thorin to the show. Thank you so much. <laughs> Great to have you here today. Nice English um, sound to Thorin. It's uh, actually it's Torian. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize, Torian. It's really I nice. Cor- I, I will correct that next time I say so. Um, so obviously, for anyone unfamiliar with your work, Pia, please just tell us a little bit more about about yourself, the work you do. Yes, so uh, I'm a consultant, a keynote speaker. Um, uh, I've been traveling the world world pretty much until Corona hit, um, and uh, um, I'm I'm in the field of agile HR and agile leadership. Uh, I'm Swedish from the west coast of, of uh, Sweden, and uh, I've been um, working with international large organizations, Swedish uh, organizations mostly. And my background is in talent management systems and processes. So this is how I started my my journey before Agile HR and Agile Leadership. Uh, So we were implementing these huge um, ERP systems for people, Mm -hmm. you could say, uh, in these huge companies, uh, rolling out standardized one-size-fits-all processes all around the world. And we realized that we were not creating that much value for our customers, unfortunately. In 2009, I I became an Agile master. And um, ever since then, I've been convinced that there is a better way. Uh, I was instantly very drawn to the concept, the tools, the practices, and the whole mindset, the Agile mindset, and I started to apply it to my project management as well instantly in our IT configuration projects. And then we, uh, as we were working a lot with HR teams and leadership uh, in those talent management projects, we, we saw that this could pretty much be copied um, to their world as well. It was nothing that only worked for IT, but the mindset and the practices and the principles and values are very much uh, applicable to all kinds of of work. And and it doesn't have to be a software development or a software configuration for that matter. So we started to apply it to HR and to leadership and we started to play with it. And um, we made an Agile HR course. We started up Agile People, um, a conference in Sweden, which we have been running for seven years, and um, meetup groups. And today we have a number of meetup groups uh, all over the world. And we are running a conference every year, pretty much. And there has been three books written uh, as of today uh, around the topic and along with the Agile People Manifesto. 
So it's about how can we use agile principles and practices and tools and values and apply it to leadership, HR, and how can we work with intrinsic motivation? Um, this is what I do and what I'm passionate about, combining agile and people to create engagement. Sounds like a, a great passion and definitely something I'm on the board with. If we think about a historical HR practices, one of the common ones is that performance appraisal. And it's always, or it used to be this yearly thing. And once a year, you'd sit down with your line manager and you'd speak to them about whether you've achieved your goals. But if someone's, if your manager then said, well, you weren't quite performing that well this year, you had no ability to influence your trajectory. It's too late. You've only got next year. Whereas I guess applying exactly. agile principles, bringing that, um, that feedback loop a bit smaller and sharper enables you to continuously course correct and make sure you're setting yourselves up for success. Definitely. And, and what you do is that you proactively focus on the future instead of focusing on judging the past. Mm. And as you say, you work in shorter feedback loops and it doesn't have to be your manager. And there hasn't there doesn't have to be a judgment at all. Uh, ideally, we shouldn't work with judging other people in our organizations. And ideally, we shouldn't even work with, with formal managers. Uh, it could be a colleague. It could be a team leader, maybe, a, I don't know, an agile people coach or an agile coach or somebody else who, who is your peer when giving you feedback and asking you coaching questions. So we need a much more servant transformational kind of leadership where um, where leaders take the role of agile people coaches instead of uh, formal managers. Uh, so command and control bas basically is, goes away. And HR's task is also to make it easy for people to be happy and perform in the system instead of, you know, checking compliance uh, with HR processes or uh controlling and, and monitoring um stuff uh and and that the leaders do what they are supposed to do that they do their meetings and all this stuff that they are doing today there is no need for it people are adults and people can very well perform without it uh, i don't know if you heard about theory x and theory y view of people yeah. uh, from douglas mcgregor's work uh, so how do we view people the processes that leaders and, and the hr have set up are pretty much for um with the x view of people right so you believe that people don't want to perform they don't want to uh, work and they are lazy by nature and, and they would prefer not to work if they could avoid it and they don't want to take responsibility and they are not motivated etc etc and then the processes are formed for exactly that kind of person because it's about stopping people from doing the wrong things right <laughs> instead of uh, just letting them perform in, in and be free to to be themselves and and um finding the the perfect match for the person within the organization and letting them perform there following their their skills their passions their interests and coaching them to instead find their intrinsic motivation so that they can give so much more of themselves and also get so much more uh, because it's not about work life balance it's about life balance uh, only so 
uh, I don't know, it, it's obvious and, and I don't know, it, it seems so, seems very obvious when you talk about it, but it's not in today's organizations. It's still the old traditional mindset when it comes to how HR and, and leaders are working. Um, now it starts to change now and COVID has definitely speeded up this change. Uh, with the digitalization and, and uh, I mean, you have to trust people now because you cannot watch them all the time when they're working, when they're working from home, right? So it's it's been a very positive development during the last year uh, in, in terms of um, business agility, I would say. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's this burning platform style event where companies have been forced to adapt, uh, forced to embrace, I guess, flexibility and remote working principles and trusting people. When it comes to my, my stance or my, my approach to enterprise coaching, one of my favorite ways of describing myself as an enterprise coach these days is I want to try and create an environment where people can be their most productive on their best days and be supported on their worst days. And I'm looking to systemic, systemically, I'm just looking to remove all of the nonsense and the noise that gets in their way of doing the great stuff they do. I trust them to be the experts. I want to give them problems and outcomes to solve. And I just want to remove all the noise and just let them get on with things. Remove as mm -hmm. much bureaucracy yeah. as possible. I love minimum viable bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I very much subscribe to Dan Pink's theory on motivation. So autonomy, mastery and purpose. If there was one, one book that I think underpins what I'm trying to provide for people in the workplace is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Mm. There are, I, I agree and I disagree because autonomy and mastery and purpose, yes, they do motivate people, but there are many, many more things that motivate people and people are not motivated to the same degree of, of these things. So mm. it's very different. It's very individual and you need to take that into account, account when you coach a person, you need to, to find uh, what are your motives, what are your basic needs, your basic psychological needs, because I work with the Reese motivation profile, and I don't know, there is a debate between Dan Pink and um, Stephen Reese um, that you can listen to. Uh, and, and, and Dan Pink is, um, I mean, there is not that much, there is the same Ryan research behind Dan Pink's theories, but, but it's not the whole story. It's not, all that motivates people. Um, so there are many other things as well, and we don't take that into account enough, in my opinion. It's a good start, but uh, you mm. need to get deeper than that. And then you need to make sure not to, to you know, try to change people, but change the system so that the system will fit the needs of every individual person, right? So there are many different needs. Let's say you're motivated by family or by by order and structure or by power or by you know there are so many different needs acceptance make sure that people can live their needs and make it possible for them to understand themselves first so that they uh, can help also in shaping uh, the workplace in a way where they can be their best selves every day uh, so and I think I think That's COVID has highlighted COVID's highlighted a particular example of this where a standardized one size fits all approach just doesn't work, right? So there are people out there who are their most productive or best selves 
when they work from home. They 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 enjoy or are, are empowered and enabled by the ability to focus without distractions. Perhaps the the buzz of the office doesn't help them, or mm. that all that that and that works for them. And they prefer maybe the the mental health benefits from not having a commute and and so on and so forth. You have some people who thrive in that environment. They are their best selves working in an office around others, and they 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 like getting away and working somewhere different. And there are some people who like a blend of the both. And some companies maybe are looking to adopt a one size fits all and just say, right, we want to just get everyone doing the same thing. But I think the companies that offer the true flexibility to enable a person choice to determine where they are their most productive selves are going to be the ones that probably retain the best talent, create the best environment for people. And it's, I think it's this movement away from standardized one, one size fits all approach and more towards customizing the person's employee experience in the best way and, that it can be. I don't think it's just about where you do your work. It's also when you work because people mm. have different rhythms, right? Uh, some people love to work at night. They are more most productive in the evening or at night even. And some people are in the morning like me. I like to get up early, do some exercise and start working. And in the evening, I want to do something else. Uh, also, it's about how you do your work. So tell maybe about why, uh, share the what, but let the people decide about the how, definitely. Um, that, that's obvious in, in the future of work. And the companies who understand that, they will attract the best people, definitely. So uh, it's about who do you want to, to attract? Who do you want to recruit? How do you want your workplace to look like? And do you want happy people or do you want people who comply? Mm. You know, so ultimately it's up to, to the employers and the companies to choose. Uh, do you believe that people who feel good and who are, you know, living their lives and, and uh, enjoying their work, do you think they are more productive or not? You know? People are the most important assets in our companies uh, and, and everything depends on people. Uh, there is nothing that doesn't depend on people. Imagine an organization without people. How would that mm. look like? It always, Imagine uh, that. I, I can, I, it, it always amuses me that companies so often say that exact phrase, our people are our most important asset. They exactly. they say that, they they say those words. And it's, but the thing is, it's often lip service because it's not backed up by action and demonstration that, you know, we value as our, our most important you know, thing that we have about us. And it's often, and this, this I guess, comes into the, the topic of humans being being resources. I think sometimes people are treated like resources. They are treated as disposable and they're abstracted. And, and ultimately, it doesn't matter what language you're using, really, whether um, someone is referred to as a resource. It's, it's more about how they're treated, you know, the action behind it. Just because you call someone a resource doesn't make them a resource. But if you're treating them as a person, an individual, you're being supportive and you're there for them and you're not just treating them as this disposable thing that you can get rid of when times are bad or work into the ground and burn yeah. out. Yeah, people are not cogs in the machinery you know the organization is a giant social system it consists of people and relationships between people and 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 a person is a complex adaptive system in itself and a team is a complex adaptive system and the company is a complex adaptive system and that's why it's so important to 
to not, uh, you know, it, it's unpredictable. We can never predict what's going to happen in a social system because uh, people are uh, complex. So this is trial and error, and this is about experimenting a lot and, and doing things that we believe will work, and then we need to evaluate and, and check and learn and move on to the next step, right? And this is the cycle that we always go through, experiment a little bit more and let people fail and let people um, succeed uh, and, and learn from both successes and failures. Uh, because a continuously learning organization is the same thing as an agile organization. That's true business agility is a learning organization where people all the time grow and develop and become more and better and can then also produce more value to customers. Because it, agile is all about customer value in the end. And if we if we succeed, uh, with this um, employer, employee, uh, customer value creation process, then the consequence will be value to shareholders. But that's a consequence mm. of the value creation process between an uh, employee and the customer. It's not something that we can focus directly on. We need to focus on the value creation. And so often I observe that switched around. The focus is on, right, let's get the maximum amount of, of shareholder value. Let's let's hit that revenue target, et cetera, et cetera. That, in my experience, nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, do you know what I want to do? I want to earn this company this amount of money, right? They, they're inspired by the mission, you know, the, the the opportunity to grow and learn and be part of a network, a community. So um, it, it always interests me how uh, it tends to be switched around when in reality, if we can get, people focused on enjoying the experience, uh, enjoying their work, learning often. I was reflecting on this with Simon Powers recently, the companies that have uh, uh, the best networks that enable learning, you know, the pace of learning are the, are the companies that will evolve and grow and uh, yeah, survive almost if we're being Darwinian about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, I agree. Properly. So there is no debate between you and me because we agree about everything here. <laughs> Not not everything thus far, you know. So I, I I welcome I welcome debate. I welcome healthy conflict. It's what I'm all about. I want people to disagree with me yeah. because it'd be boring if everyone agreed with me all the time. I'm interested in the, the Agile People Manifesto. So why why did it come about? What's the genesis of it? Where was it? What was it born from? Okay, I this crazy idea. Um, I had the idea that we should do an Agile People Manifesto. I had this thought for a long time, uh, but. As always, you go around, you think about it, and you don't do anything, right? But then I say, okay, let's just say I, I have a Slack group. It's called Agile People Slack. So I sent out a question to the people in my Slack group. Hey, what about if we create Agile People Manifesto together? Uh, I said to them. Um, and then a bunch of people said, yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay, you want to come to Sweden? You want to come to the west coast of Sweden? Actually, it was here in this my summer house that where everybody gathered. So we were 19 people from 15 different countries. Um, uh, all, all over the world, people came from Singapore, from New Zealand, from Canada, from the US, from South America and South Africa. It was amazing. And... <laughs> 
maybe you saw the little movie uh, that is available on agilepeoplemanifesto.org. Uh, there is a small movie that they shot outside here where we were cooking together. We had a great time and we were struggling for four days also because we obviously came into conflict the, the second day. We <laughs> we had a lot of conflict around. So how are we going to do this? And what is it going to... The, 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 the most conflict was about how are we going to achieve this result, the Agile People Manifesto, in four days? So we have different thoughts around that. And I say, I'm not going to be the kind of, you know, director or the, the, because we had so many agile coaches and facilitators there. So I say, okay, everybody knows <laughs> that, that we should be able to do this. Self-organized. Um, exactly. <laughs> so that was a very interesting process. Um, in the end, we actually uh, did finalize it. Uh, we, we had a rough version the day we went home after four days uh, when everybody went back to their respective countries. But then we finalized it uh, really online in a, in a couple of sessions after the, the meeting we had here. It was really fun uh, and uh, very memorable experience. So the movie is there. If you want to see it, you can, you can roll it. You can see what it looked like. Everything. Yeah. There was Gustavo from Brazil who, who shot uh, so, some videos uh, during during this uh, gathering. Okay, so for any yeah. any any watchers or listeners of the show that haven't seen that video, it is out there, and you can also see the Agile People Manifesto at agilepeoplemanifesto.org. Yes, exactly. And so it's I, about go ahead. Sorry, bringing the Agile so to the people to the people side of of the business right so focusing really on what kind of organ it's it's a bit of teal flavor in it i would say it's about putting humans first and about you know uh, what kind of organizations do we want to work in and do we want to run ourselves uh, uh, so it's a bit of guidance and then after oh i got the book here also uh, the people who then uh, created the Agile People Manifesto, we said the year after when COVID came, I asked them and some more people, would you like to write a book with me? Uh, and we did. And it came out in September uh, 2020. I can show it to you. Just a minute. I'll go and get it. Please do. Please do. Yeah. Uh, so this is the book we wrote. It's called the Agile People Principles, your call to action for the future of work. So it's written by 35 Agile people coaches, uh, beautiful people from all, all over the world. Wonderful. Yeah. And um, it's available from agilepeople.com. So you can buy it there in a flipbook format or in a physical format. And here we have then taken the Agile People Manifesto, and we have from that created 34 Agile People principles uh, that all organizations need to increase for the future of work. And the principles are, for example, accountability and commitment, adaptability, authenticity, boundary spanning, clear goals, simple rules, 
common direction, continuous learning and improvement. So everybody wrote one chapter. It's really beautiful collection of, of, of the book. And then we, of course, we also have the Agile People Manifesto in here. And sure. um, lots of pictures, lots of pictures inside. So I, what I specifically like about the, the the People Manifesto was, I guess, the inclusion of some of the things that that weren't in the the Agile Manifesto for software development. So it had a greater focus on, I guess, inclusion and diversity, that uh, focus on experimentation, deeper connection and meaning. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of things that perhaps uh, weren't addressed, but that makes sense because we're 20 years on since that original Agile Manifesto. We've, we've got a lot of collective learnings as a, a group of, of coaches, of, of people in, the, in the, the working world. So it makes sense that we've learned a few things. What, from your perspective, would you say, if there was one thing from perhaps the People Manifesto, uh, what do you think more companies should be placing greater emphasis on in order to improve? What's the thing that you're, you're seeing as a gap that's out there currently? Psychological safety, by far the most important thing, uh, I would say. If you have that, if you have psychological safety, that will lead to to trust. And and this is the platform from where all work can can be done and, and people can be themselves, they can be their authentic selves, they can engage um, because they know that I'm safe. Mm. I'm not afraid to lose my job. I'm not afraid to, to fail. I'm not afraid to experiment, maybe make a mistake now and then because we know that we are learning when we do that. So psychological safety, I think it's the by far most important thing that companies can work with. And we have actually on our website, we have a free game. It's called the psychological safety game that everybody can play anytime. Uh, so it's agilepeople.com slash game. That's the web address. And you can go and have a look at that. Interestingly, Pia, I, I run a, a meetup every mm-hmm. month called the Agile Arcade. And it's all about gamification and, and using games to teach concepts. Mm-hmm. So I may well use the, the psychological safety game at a future edition of the arcade, introduce that to some more people, and we'll, we'll give you some feedback as to how it's gone. Yeah. Please do. There are instructions on the website, so everything is available from there. Wonderful. I love that topic of psychological safety. It's getting a lot of a lot of focus around the world. There's lots of talks yeah. about it. There's lots of contents about it, and mm. there's a lot of companies that are beginning to embrace it. But what I what I'm seeing is lots of them saying, "Oh well, you have psychological safety. It's not something you can necessarily just give and tell people they have." In my experience, it's no. something that is is created through lots of repeated demonstrable actions that they have safety. So there obviously there's, there's things that you can put in place that start to create that environment. You can uh, emphasize and destigmatize failure and welcome it, get, encourage it to be thought of as learning. You can have things like core protocols and things like that where people have the, the right to opt in and out. You can uh, introduce uh, ways people can share things anonymously. Um, I personally, as a, as a leadership position in my company, I'm one of the first people to be out there admitting I don't have all the answers, guys. And you know, we will go on this journey together and admitting that I find helps people speak up more. Are there any particular uh, tips that you subscribe to to try and create an environment for psychological safety for those you work with? Yes, HR and leaders need to go first. They need to show vulnerability. They need to ask a lot of questions and they need to say, I don't have the answers. I mean, 
I have some thoughts, but I, we need everybody's brains to, to, uh, to solve the problems that we are facing. So vulnerable leaders is by far the most effective, uh, I think, when it comes to creating a psychologically safe organization, uh, showing that you're not perfect, you don't have the answers. That, that is um, by far the most effective. I think, because leaders are influencers in organizations mm. and HR is also an influencer and they are also providing the structures, you know, the processes and the systems and the tools and everything else. And if we think about this, okay, th does this feel psychologically safe when we are, um, I mean, if we are, if we have an approval workflow, for example, why do we have it? Is it because we don't trust our people? Or why do we need approval for buying computers or for um, buying anything for that matter? You, you need an approval for, for a budget, etc. You don't think that people can take responsibility for costs. But if you let people buy the computer they want when they want it, Let's see what happens. I mean, 95% of people will not um, misuse that trust uh, in the longer perspective. There are a few that will, but instead of putting everybody in jail by, um, you know, not letting them decide by themselves, uh, you, you take those people aside and you say, it's not okay. To, uh, to 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 uh, to misuse uh, this trust that we have given to to people, so it, it it's more about putting the the bad guys in jail and not mm. everybody, but limiting everybody. Makes a lot of sense. So, I'm yeah. I'm increasingly experimenting mm. with how, with ideas of how to be, I guess, even more radically vulnerable as a leader. And one of the things I've been thinking about mm -hmm. is just kind of just putting out a survey to everyone that I work with and saying, hey, what could I be doing more of? What could I be doing less of? How could I better support you? You know, what could I be doing more? You know, how could I be better in a in a leadership position, in, you know, in a, a person who's supporting you as a as a as a company? And just embracing that. And there could be some bad things that come up with that, but it doesn't matter because I'm pursuing improvement rather than ego or otherwise. And I think there's some probably some power in that as well. There might be, I don't know how that will be resonating because I haven't tried the experiment yet. I'm trying to get a few more people on board with it and see if we can approach it um, as, a, as a group of leaders. But I wonder if you've come across anything similar. Uh, yes, I mean, you continuously need to talk about uh, what can we do. I mean, the impediments tool, the, the wall, for example, if, if you're all the time uh, write up the impediments that you think you have as a team and then uh, the leader take a look at, at the impediments so and then you talk about okay what can you fix yourself what can I fix and 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 all the time looking at how can we do things better and and uh, you can pretty much do this alone I don't have to be involved in this uh, we have delegation boards, we have all kinds of different tools to make it very clear who, who can decide what and what is my responsibility and what is your responsibility and how can we work together with this, uh, making it very safe and clear who is making what decisions on what level, for example. That is also a tool that we are working with. 
um, but I don't know if I'm getting away from your initial question now. Um, maybe okay. uh, we're going off in the direction of things I still think are, are, are valuable with regards to the, the pursuit of yeah, I mean, and, uh, helping. I, I'm, not, I'm not very fond of, of service, you know. Um, I, I like dialogues and conversations about uh, how can how can I improve? Of course, but that is not just for leaders. That's for everybody. How how can we all improve? Uh, everybody should have a coach. I think everybody. Everybody needs a coach. Nobody needs a manager. <laughs> really, <laughs> nobody wants a manager. Everybody wants a coach. My my favorite retorts, my favorite retorts to when someone is referred to as a resource is to then respond to their manager or the person who called them. Or does that make you an overhead? And that's what to me a manager mm -hmm. often is, is just an overhead. It is. And then, I mean, people are adults. They, they can manage themselves. Most people can manage themselves, but they have never had the chance to do that. So it may be that they are a bit, you know, unused to that so uh, they need to understand and learn how to do it some people need to to uh, to learn how to take responsibility for their own lives and, and for their own actions and behaviors and all these things because they've been told what to do since they were kids parents told them what to do with teachers told them what to do and managers ultimately told them what to do at work so um, they are not used to uh, to take ownership because they were never uh, they were never taught how to do that. They never had the freedom to do that. Mm. Um, and you can't just let go of, of people like that. You can't just leave them and say, okay, from one day to the other, now it's you. You know, and this is what managers do when they go agile, when they are supposed to increase agility. Then they say, okay, so one day I made all the decisions and the next day, now we go agile. Now you make all the decisions. People are lost when you do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, are you crazy? <laughs> but it, it, it happens, doesn't it? People introduce change without supporting people through that change. Mm -hmm. you know, putting putting the systems in place or the support in place that helps them perform yeah. in, that, in that environment. But the reason why managers do that is so that they can say, see, it doesn't work. Agile <laughs> doesn't work. <laughs> you see? <laughs> they do nothing. <laughs> this is very, very common, actually. Because so they are, they are, yeah, the managers are afraid that they will lose their power, position, status, etc. I always, I always tend to approach this with uh, unconditional positive regard. So that that manager themselves is probably mm -hmm. doing the best they can given their situation. You know, the the knowledge they have, the level of comfort they have, the skills they have. And they are probably just afraid yeah. of what it means with this change, whether their their role may become, I guess, more redundant and they won't they won't know what's next for them. I imagine that's I mean, a manager often isn't isn't putting something in place just to frustrate people. They're probably just mm -hmm. doing it due to the pressures that they have from their management, due to the the desire to deliver and, and produce results and things like that. So I always try and approach it with empathy and un unconditional positive regard. I'm keen. I'm keen to talk with you about. Uh, what kind of results you've observed through this greater focus on people? So um, agile people, 
focusing on people what's what tangible outcomes have you observed for the for the clients you've worked with with the businesses you've worked with the people you've worked with what have been the results of this greater focus been uh, more customer value happier uh, employees and um, better more profitable companies these are the three biggest benefits i would say if you if you ask people in these companies how they feel and if they are creating meaningful work together it's more often yes than in other companies and customers are also happier when they are served by happy performing employees and of course that will also uh, show uh, on the bottom line and give the results to to the shareholders that's obvious so only good effects but we need to remove um the annual budgets uh, linked to fixed performance targets and rewards so that's the most important uh thing here that you know as long as we have annual budgets fixed annual budgets we cannot be agile and when we link that we break it down on different departments so that every every department have a budget goal right and then the managers are measured on reaching that goal both when it comes to cost and income uh, in, in some cases it's also on income um, and and uh, when when they then are cascading that down to their teams in terms of fixed performance targets that they are going to reach so that you can it's a very um what do you call it it's an engineering approach um you you're only looking at the techniques right you're not looking at motivation you're not looking at uh what if things don't turn out as we planned what if something else shows up what if there is an opportunity over here that would be so much better to do but we can't do that because we don't have the budget we planned everything last year uh it, it's crazy and, and then you you get this little box saying you're a high performer or a low performer or a weak performer or whatever you're an average performer in most cases 70 percent of people are average performers uh, sitting there in the middle nobody wants to be an average performer nobody and they are unmotivated, all of them. So 70% are unmotivated, demotivated, maybe you say. And you have a few high performers who are feeling bad because they are, they are considered high performers and, and the company is putting all the money on, on them. They are the so-called talents, right? And then they are putting all their money, all their focus on, the, of course, they are performing better than others when, when they get all this, um, support from the whole from hr and management and then you know you you have this box the average box is then linked to a salary box that decide how much do you then get rewarded for your work and <laughs> it's a crazy system all this um and, and that's what we need to break we need to break this what is the the reason for doing performance management well it's about helping people to to be motivated and perform it's about learning it's about reaching goals it's about compensation decisions but you can do that in other ways you need to slice down the purposes instead of having one purpose with a, uh, or one process for all these purposes 
you need to have different um, tools and practices for the different purposes. So for goals, for example, you can work with objectives and key results. It would help you with alignment, learning, collaboration, and a lot of other things that are positive. Uh, transparency in goal setting and all these things. Uh, instead of um, uh, letting a, a square in, in, in this nine box grid be linked to a reward or a salary box. You, you could work with salary formulas that are fair for, for everybody and merit money systems where we in different ways can reward each other. Maybe every month in, in, in a monthly kind of we give away points or pluses or hugs to each other. I don't know. Uh, it, it's reward is not just about money. It's also about a lot of other things. So different people want different kinds of rewards. It's not a one size fits all thing. And we have these benefy portals, you know, where you can go in and, and choose what you want instead of just getting money. Maybe you want time with your family. Maybe you, you're, you want to learn new things. Maybe you want... I don't know what you want. It's it's different. Um, maybe we, come, we come back to the we come back to the difference between standardization versus customization of an experience exactly. based on an individual's exactly. needs and motivations. Yeah. You might have someone who yes. they're they're early on in their career and they 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 aren't as focused on salary, but they want to learn as much as they possible. They want to do yeah. extra courses. Yeah. They want extra mentorship opportunities, and that might fit for them. You might have someone who's just started a new family they they value having the extra time off and that their package centers around that mm. i think customization and and less standardization and it's the same when it comes to agile frameworks i often say innovate don't replicate create create something that matches the situation rather than just copying and pasting the latest safe framework or spotify because that doesn't take into account the most important variable the people mm. and their needs yeah definitely so come up with your own solution. Um, you, you can try recipes. You can do that. And, and then you can tweak them. In the beginning, I mean, a chef, uh, when they are new, they follow recipes. And then mm -hmm. you start to experiment and maybe change some ingredients, you know, do some own kind of tweaking to the recipe. And then you start making your own recipes. That's the chivalry, um, you know, um, that, that we follow when we learn uh, things. And when we learn, the best way of learning uh, and developing is through experiments. Because then we have a 50-50 chance to succeed or fail. And then we learn when we succeed, but we also learn when we fail. Mm. And this so is why when it, come, when it comes to retrospectives, um, from a retrospective, I'm always keen for the team to identify just a few experiments that they can try next. A couple of things that they can do in the next time frame between now and when we next meet, small things that they think they can stick to on their worst day, not the things that will be perfect on their best day, but the things they can stick to, the things mm. they can try, they can learn from and work out after that. Did it work for us? Did it not work for us? What could we be doing differently? And I think for me, Agile mm. in itself builds a great way of this continuous feedback loop and continuous experimentation. In fact, Tobias Mayer recently said to me, a sprint is just an experiment. And I thought that was a great way of describing a sprint, purely an experiment. Yes, I agree. Yeah, so, so I think all companies will need to 
to increase business agility. And of course you do it by increasing the agile people principles. And you can increase the agile people principles by using tools, agile tools like Scrum or Kanban boards or you know daily stand-ups or whatever retrospective or OKRs or other tools. But the tools in themselves uh, will not work unless you have the soil, unless you have the culture, right? So it's about the soil. It's about the garden with, with the soil. And, and the leader is the gardener here. And, and that's the perfect metaphor for leadership. It's, uh, it's great uh, to think about that. You cannot scream to the flower. You cannot, you know, command the flower to grow faster or better or more. Uh, it's impossible. You can only make sure that the environment is right for this particular plant. And that takes knowledge about the needs of the plant. What needs does this uh, carrot have? It's not the same as the needs of an apple tree or a, a raspberry bush. Or, I don't know. It's different needs. People have different needs. You need to treat them differently, basically. And they, they thrive in different parts of the garden because that's their nature. That's just the way they are. Wonderful metaphor. Thank you for sharing that. It's one I am familiar with, but it's one I, that always does really, really resonate. I'm conscious of time, so I just want to ask you a question about retrospective. So I create retrospectives every week. It's my favorite ceremony. I've created all sorts of random ones. I'm wondering if you have an idea that you could add to my backlog for a themed retrospective. What would you add? It could be anything. An idea uh, to your backlog. To my backlog of retrospectives to create. Just, so, just for awareness, I've created one around Taco Tuesday, uh, Game of Thrones, Friends, the TV show. It could be one around people. I did a cat meme one, just all sorts. It's just a, an immersive retrospective experience that people tend to enjoy. And the outcome, usually I find, is they're engaged throughout the session and they want to be part of it rather than it being that, oh, what do we stop, start, continue? What are we sad, mad, glad oh, you about? Mean another way of doing a retrospective. Is yeah, give, give, give me a new idea that I can add to my oh, backlog. Great one. Oh, wow. And new kind of retrospective. How do we do that differently? Well, it's not my <laughs> my. my well, it's just a just a just a theme. Pick a, pick a theme. Uh, it could it could be Sweden. It could be people. I could do a people focused retrospective. Who knows? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Shall I do that? A people focused yeah, retrospective. Yeah, definitely. It's it could even we could we could link we could link it. Be people focused. We could link it back to that uh, garden metaphor you were doing as well. Okay. So it'd be almost like the gardening retrospective. How do we grow people mm -hmm. through mm -hmm. garden? Yeah, okay. I've got I've got some ideas now. How Thank do you. We start growing people. How how what do we stop to do in the garden? Um, and and the, how do we cultivate the... growth? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Yeah. Very good. How do we make it more psychologically safe? Yeah, you can do a psychological safety game and you can do in the retrospective, every time you do a retrospective, you look at some of the, because there is a number of 62 cards in the psychological safety game. And then you can pick, for example, three cards from the psychological safety game. You say, okay, we're going to focus on these three cards for the next sprint. And in the next retrospective, we will evaluate those mm. and, and see what has happened. Have we increased slash decreased the bad ones uh, or increased the good ones? Okay, so which one shall, shall we focus on for the next sprint? And then you do a retrospective again. So it's a psychological safety retrospective in that 
that's what sounds I'm... good might have to experiment with that one right uh any final thoughts you'd like to share with any of the listeners pia oh um be careful live well and take care and um i don't know just uh embrace agile mindset use the tools and practices wisely and um I don't know. Don't um, what don't you do? <laughs> don't, know what you don't, do. <laughs> don't give up hope. There is always hope. Don't give up hope. What an inspiring <laughs> message. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking part in the show today, Pierre. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge about agile people, about focusing on people. It's been a great to have you here. You've just listened to another episode of the Virtually Agile Podcast. Don't forget to check out www.thevirtualagilecoach.co.uk for one of the largest collections of free templates on the web on all things Agile. If this show provided value, I'd love your support by following or subscribing on your platform of choice. See you folks next time.